You're listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead Bible study groups using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCrary, the leader for Adult Explore the Bible, and today we're going to be looking at Session 11 for the Winter 2020-2021 Study of Luke. In Session 11, we're looking at Luke chapter 6, 1-11, through 11, and the main idea is that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. In verses 1 and 2, while passing through a grain field on a Sabbath, Jesus' disciples picked some grain and ate it. Some of the religious leaders observed them and questioned their reason for breaking Sabbath rules. We've entitled this particular section, Work on the Sabbath with a Question Mark. In verses 3 through 5 of chapter 6 of Luke, Jesus responds to the religious leaders by pointing to an event from the life of David. David entered the tabernacle and ate the consecrated bread along with his companions. Jesus then declared himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. We've entitled this particular section, Lord of the Sabbath, and the main idea is that Jesus is Lord over all of his creation. In verses 6 through 11, we find that on another Sabbath, Jesus encountered a man with a withered hand in a synagogue. The religious leaders closely watched to see what Jesus did. After asking the religious leaders if it was lawful to do good on a Sabbath, Jesus healed the man's withered hand, which infuriated the religious leaders. We've entitled this particular section, verses 6 through 11, Do Good on the Sabbath with a Question Mark. And the main point is that believers must place human needs above ritual practices. In preparation for the podcast today, we identified four questions uh, that may need to be addressed uh, while teaching this Bible study. So here's the four questions. How do we help our groups understand the difference between the Torah or the law and Jewish traditions? Where is the line between rituals and doing what is right and how do we know? How does this passage help us understand who Jesus is? And how does this passage help us understand how to deal with people who oppose Christianity? So let's deal with that first question. How do we help our groups understand the difference between the Torah or the law and Jewish traditions? Let's be straight up here. The Bible does include commands and prohibitions, things we're to do and things that we're not to do. Exodus 20, for example, gives us the Ten Commandments, things that are commanded and things that are prohibited. In this Luke passage, the conflict is about the Sabbath, which is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. The prohibition against work on the Sabbath was clear in both Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. There's a few Old Testament passages that give more specific examples for the kind of work that was prohibited, such as in Exodus 35, we find that we're not supposed to kindling a fire, and then in Jeremiah 17, we find that we're not supposed to carry a burden. But most daily activities were not expressly mentioned in the scriptures as being prohibited on the Sabbath. So that brings us to the question of what's allowed and what's not. So therefore, through the years, rabbis created lists of specific activities that they defined as work. This is where tradition comes into play. In the Mishnah, which is part of the Talmud, the Mishnah is a really a, a, a compilation of case studies 
of opinions, thoughts on Jewish law or understanding of law. But in the, in the Mishnah, you find 39 actions uh, that are not to be done on the Sabbath. Some of them you would expect sowing, plowing, hunting, um, starting a fire, which you've already mentioned. Writing is one of the things. And under those 39 actions, there are six more actions per each one of those original actions. And then more were added on top of that. You'll find things like climbing a tree, swimming, clapping your hands. You even find that uh, becoming engaged on the Sabbath is prohibited. With this being the lesson that we would normally teach on February 14th, uh, there are some in our group who would definitely agree that, it, that an engagement would be work. Now, they also included exceptions to the rules. For example, priests could carry out their required duties, which meant some of the things that were listed had to be done. If you were facing a life or death situation, you could take action. Childbirth was also permitted and was seen as an exception. One item that might help us answer this question is pack item 14 in the leader kit. It's entitled Sabbath Laws, and it gives some background and lists some of the laws that were included. This pack item can help our group see the difference between the law and tradition, especially if we challenge them to find the actions that are listed, the rules that are given, if we ask them to find that in Scripture. That gives us some clues on how we can help them see the difference between the law or Torah and tradition. Now let's move to the second question, which is where is the line between keeping rituals or traditions and doing the right thing and how do we know? Uh, let's think about the nature of a ritual or a tradition. Most rituals and traditions create an identity for a group of people. Think back to Christmas and the things your family did that are unique to your family. One thing my wife's family does is has a jingle jar that's filled with change, and all the kids get to pull out one handful of change. Now, there are rules, what constitutes a handful, what's a scoop, all those kinds of things. This practice ties the family to the past and gives them an identity as a family. And it's a big deal when you get to participate. It says that you are a part. You see the same type of identity markers in the local church. One church I served, we created a church dictionary. We recruited people to listen for three months for things that are said, things that were printed, that an outsider may not fully understand. One of the things I remember off that list was the term the old parlor. It was now a conference room that was used rather frequently, and it hadn't been the parlor in some 30 years, but we still called it the old parlor. There's nothing wrong with these things. Uh, they are simply markers that serve as a means to identify a group. But none of those rituals or traditions determine if something is right or wrong, which is the second part of the question. How do we know? Well, the answer is found in Scripture. Scripture is the final authority at that point. We see it here in Luke, as Jesus pointed to an experience from the life of David and then challenged the people in the synagogue about doing the right thing. In both situations, we see a greater concern for the tradition than for a person's basic need. Their reaction also revealed a preference for tradition over the actual commands of Scripture, and that is the problem. Their traditions carried more weight than the commands of Scripture. In Mark 12, we find Jesus being asked about the greatest commandment. And he pointed to two, 
love God with all your being, and love others like you love yourself. These two are the guiding principles. Whenever we face a decision about keeping a ritual or doing something else, we must ask ourselves these two questions. Number one, what does the Bible say? And number two, does this act show love for God and love for others? If we can answer both of those things yes, then we know we're doing the right thing. Our third question that we identified is how does this passage help us understand who Jesus is? Well, obviously in the second part, well, in the second story, we see Jesus healing a man whose hand was withered. So that points to Jesus' power. But both of these events took place on the Sabbath, which points to a bigger reality. In verse 5, Jesus declares himself to be the Son of Man, Lord of the Sabbath. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all conclude this story with Jesus' declaration about him being the Son of Man who is Lord of the Sabbath. In the previous session, we looked at the man who was lowered through the ceiling so Jesus could heal him. That was in Luke 5. In that story, we find for the first time Luke using the term Son of Man in his Gospel account. In that incident, Luke declared that the Son of Man had authority to forgive sin, and the religious leaders understood fully that Jesus was claiming to be God. Here in Luke 6, we find Jesus saying that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Mark records that Jesus began his reply by explaining that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That's in Mark 2, verse 27. Jesus was asserting that God designed the Sabbath. If Jesus is Lord of what God created, then he would be equal to the one who created it. Once again, Jesus is defining himself as being both human and God. Son of man would point to him being human, and Lord of the Sabbath would point to him being God. Matthew's gospel provides additional information about this event. This is in Matthew 12. He records another part of the debate that was going on between the Pharisees and Jesus, and Jesus makes the statement, something greater than the temple is here. Jesus as the Messiah is superior to and is the ultimate replacement for both the temple and the Sabbath. So what do we learn about Jesus here? We learn that Jesus is the Son of Man and Lord of all and deserves and requires the ultimate allegiance of all who seek to worship and serve God. The last question that we identified prior to this podcast was, was how does this passage help us understand how to deal with people who oppose Christianity? Well, there's three big things we need to realize here. Number one, we will be watched. We'll be watched by believers and unbelievers. That can be good and it can be bad. It can be a way to hold us accountable, but it can also be a way to watch to see if we stumble. Part of that is people want to know if what we believe really matters, and they want to see an example of true Christianity. Some people, even though they may be scoffers or mockers, are actually rooting for us because they want to see something that's real. But we will be watched, and we need to be aware of that. Second thing is we will be misunderstood. You see that in this passage here, where they misunderstood Jesus' intent, and they were more concerned about keeping the law or keeping their traditions than they were about the man being healed or about the needs of the, of the disciples being met. 
The night of Jesus' betrayal, after the meal, he reminded his disciples that the world hated him first. We find that in John 15, verse 8. In 1 John 3, 13, we find John echoing this, saying, Don't be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. Now, one thing we need to realize here is John would have witnessed both of these events in Luke 6. Him, as a disciple, would have understood it a little bit differently and with more intensity. He was reminding us that, they, that we will be misunderstood, and sometimes that misunderstanding is intentional. Someone has already chosen not to understand, not to accept the truth of the gospel. And number three is we are not excused from doing the right thing. Jesus could have waited to the end of the Sabbath and then healed the man's hand, but that meant he would have done nothing in the moment. That's not the option presented that day. The question that was asked by Jesus, is it right to do good or evil on the Sabbath? Waiting would have been evil because you would have been ignoring the person's immediate need. That's not an option for us either. Even though people are watching and some will not understand, we must take action that demonstrates our love for God and His love for others. So the three things that we can learn about how we deal with people who oppose Christianity is number one, realize we will be watched. Number two, realize we will be misunderstood. And number three, realize we are not excused from doing the right thing. One more thing before we go. I want to look at the Bible skill for this session. The Bible skill calls on us to do a comparison and a contrast between passages that are all on the subject of the Sabbath. There are six Old Testament passages listed, and eight New Testament passages listed. It would be very difficult for us to read all 14 of those verses during our Bible study time. So one way we could do this is we could assign two people, one person to read the Old Testament passages and another person to read the New Testament passages, and then ask them to present their answer to the question at the end of the Bible skill, which is what does a comparison of these passages reveal? and then to allow them to share their summary. The last thing in the Bible skill that we're asked to do is summarize our understanding of the principle and purpose of the Sabbath. Invite them to share their summary and then use that as discussion for the group. I want to thank you for listening to us today. From time to time in our podcast, we will mention different resources in Explore the Bible Family. Today we mentioned the Leader Pack, but we also have a commentary, quick source, and a few other things. You can find out more about the Explore the Bible resources on our website at GoExploreTheBible.com. That's GoExploreTheBible.com, no spaces. Thank you for listening in this week, and we hope you will join us next week as we look at session 12. We'll be looking at Luke 7, 40 through 50. It's a parable told by Jesus that followed the anointing of his feet by a woman known for her sin. Amen.